welcome to the Everything Theatre podcast, brought to you by Everything Theatre, a theatre review and interview website covering more than just London Fringe Theatre. Each week we'll bring you interviews with some of the best that Fringe Theatre has to offer. We'll talk to theatre makers about new shows, hear about the art of making the plays, talk about some of the wonderful venues you may never have heard of before. In short, we will chat Everything Theatre and what makes it tick. So let's dive straight in and hear what today's episode has to offer. Today I've got David Brady with me. Uh, David's been on the show twice before. David is Artistic Director of Lion Unicorn Theatre and runs Pro Forza theatre company david love to chat to you to remind us who you are and then we'll talk about your show in a minute yeah so um, as you mentioned i'm david uh, i'm the artistic director of the line unicorn theatre and of pro force theatre company i'm also the director of flashbang last time we did this interview i was in a room that passed for the toilet so i'm hoping that the sound quality is a bit better this time because uh, we're all we're all live and in the room this time which is good so it was the time before actually you was, you were saying like you was in the toilet for the second time we recorded you were standing on the stairwell I'm in a normal place this time. I think that the benefit of being of, of things getting back to normal is that I'm not hiding in strange rooms and in different places in the theatre. So. Right. And you mentioned there, yeah, you've got a new show, Flashbang, which is coming 6th of September for two weeks at Lion Unicorn. So let's talk about that. Let's get straight into that. What can you tell us about Flashbang? Flashbang uh, opens the new season of work at the Lion Unicorn Theatre. We have a very big tent peg show, which kind of sits in, in our year. Um, and Flashbang is this year's. Uh, Pro Force Theatre main house show. It's a story of five boys growing up in a small town 20 miles away from nowhere. Uh, and it's a story of an event that changes their guest suburban life, really. The friendship that exists between them and the brotherhood that develops as a result of a life changing situation. Uh, and how I guess boys uh, grow up from boys to men through the course of living in a small town and the, the days of living together and the nights of going out and getting drunk and finding themselves in a world where it isn't as clearly defined for them as they would like to be. What I've, I mean, I've seen the last couple of plays, I've seen more than the last couple of plays, actually, but um, I've seen quite a few of your works. What you tend to do is make them very relatable. They feel like they could be places we know, people we know. Is this why you think your plays resonate so well with the audiences you get in? Yeah, we, we talked about it a lot. Um, I can't really direct a show that's, that's about an abstract concept in lots of cases. I think you've got to, certainly the work that I'm attracted to is real, normal human beings. And sometimes they're in extraordinary circumstances. But I think each Pro Forcer show has a kind of theme. And lots of those themes are around family. And that's whether the family is a family you create for yourself, not having a family or trying to search for your for the meaning for yourself. And, and I think Flashbang actually is unusual for us in that we've kind of taken that concept to the sort of friendship level, really, which is about boys and, and, and blokes and, and how you find your friends and how do you develop those male friendships and how do those male friendships change over time when there is when there are girlfriends and babies and, you know, life moves on. So I think particularly in, in terms of presenting characters which are likeable and real, even though they're flawed human beings, it was really important to me that um, the, the boys in Flashbang are likeable human beings. Um, I, I'm I'm going to be 40 next year, which I probably shouldn't admit in public. But um, I think that means, you know, when you direct work or you get used to it, you move on. And, and so I'm I'm moving into kind of an old, like it feels like an, an older, more responsible age bracket. 
And so the thoughts of storytelling that we change means that you look back at, you know, what you were like when you were younger or, you know, the, the people that you have around you when, when you were younger and, and what does that look like through a different lens. And so I think Flashbang is about normal, really flawed, hopefully brilliant boys that we've created and the characters that we've created and the lives that they're about to lead and how that changes. I think the other thing for me as well is that Flashbang is very definitely not set in London. It's set in a place outside of London. We, we see a lot of London storytelling. So actually for us, um, the fact that this is unashamedly a story about small towns, I think is really important because, you know, we get a lot of London, London metropolitan elite storytelling. Um, it's time to do something different. And I think it's like those stories are equally as valid. And that's really where this work is, is focused, I think. Because yeah, because lately was outside London as well, wasn't it? Lately was a indistinct seaside sort of village town, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I think lately had a had a real sort of like there was a loneliness and a desolation in in lately that that isn't in Flashbang. Flashbang's got a real sense of community to it, but it's not a community that if you live in London it, that it's used to. So for example, there's a there's a really um, there's a really key theme that runs through Flashbang, which is about boys that grow up and stay in that same town and their parents, you know, there's a, there's a conversation about their parents have never left either. So the, their mums and dads are still around and, and, and they're never going anywhere. And so actually I think there's a lot to be said about that experience of growing up and leaving London. I mean, lately it was almost like in reverse, right? People wanted to go as far away to the sea as they possibly can and return again. These boys are never going anywhere. And so actually there's no, there's no, um, there's no ambition for them to go anywhere else either. So they talk in the play about, you know, this is, all this is all there is we're going to make the best of the life that we have here and what does that look like and I think for me it's really interesting to take a look at what happens when somebody doesn't want to go anywhere and you know they talk about their parents building a life with you know the harvester down the road or the world is a lot smaller but by the same token I think it's as equally as dynamic but dynamic in a different way they're going to grow up through a different world whereas lately it was like I can't wait to get out of this terrible seasoned town uh, this was like we're never gonna we're never gonna go anywhere else it's like it's an all-male cast isn't it in this one yeah but i think one of the things that's really important so it's, so it's the story of like i said it's the story of these five boys now there are four actors in flashbang which we'll talk about in a minute so it's the story of five boys four actors but i think it's really important to me that actually the, there's a female influence in flashbang that i think is really important because there's something in the wives and girlfriends and mothers and um female influences that are you know does make itself felt in the play that actually there is an important female influence on these on these boys that's important in every lad when they're growing up and, and becoming a man so it's not just a question of like just five boys telling a very male story but I think it's a story that needs to be told but it's it's told I think with some degree of respect and equality for what else goes on in the world around them. Is there a different dynamic because obviously you direct this is there a different dyna- dynamic in working with just an all-male cast? Yeah I think I think and again, we're about to go into rehearsal, so ask me in six weeks' time whether this is true <laughs> or not. But uh, I mean, I've, I've directed all male casts before. There is a kind of boisterousness in a in an all male cast that, that there isn't necessarily in a in a female uh, cast or, or a mixed cast. I think there's a different energy. I think when you're directing a piece of work, you have to have that consciousness of of you know, it's really important to have female input into the process so that it isn't just all blokes. It isn't just, you know because then the work feels you know very sort of alpha male masculine. And actually, we've got that female input into the show, um, which I think is important. I think blokes are inherently a little bit more insecure, generally, 
as we know, they're not they're not the most competent of humans. Uh, the actors are obviously very competent, but as as as, as men, as as human beings, we we perhaps not not the best when we're all together on our own. Uh, and I think it's really important for the for the piece that we acknowledge that. So actually, I think I I love working with with all types of actors, right? So so whether it's a mixed cast or an all male cast or you know working with with female actors. I think it's really important that you work out what that dynamic is, but sort of turn the dynamic on its head. So, for example, if you know you've got an all-male cast, making sure that you can put a female influence in there. Or, for example, if you've got a mixed cast, making sure that you can represent all points of view. And I think we've tried to do that in terms of how we've created the show and how we've built it. But again, ask me in six weeks' time if they were more or less boisterous than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's. I suppose, is there a risk when it is just sort of all blokes involved of... And and I and assume they're quite the cast are quite young, aren't they? They're younger. Um, so in the play, the characters in the play are all 24, 25. Yes, yeah, so twenty. Um, but I think because of their life experience, so they're they're very definitely not like university graduates. And we got not. rid of the laddish element of them. Have they grown out of that at this stage? No, well, no. But I think I think the important thing is actually is I think you know what that implies is it implies that it's very like. Um, being on a train with a bunch of Chelsea fans, right? That's that's not these boys. They're not that dynamic. Um, they're they're a bit more naive as characters, okay. and they're they It's been really really important to to us as we develop the piece that they're softer, more likable. They've got emotions that you know, even if they don't know where to place those emotions, that they're you know emotions that real blokes have, right? And I and I think you know I mentioned earlier on about that kind of parental thing. You know, you you want to. Insp- I think the as the director of the piece, I would almost put myself in the role of that parental type thing of like, I want the audience to want to reach out and look after them in that way of like, everything will be all right. And when, when and again, I'm, I'm, I always run the risk when I talk to you about dropping massive spoilers and I'm going to try not to do that this time around because the flashbang of the title is, is a whopper. You want to be able to reach out and be like, we'll make this okay. It'll be all right. You're going to be okay and, and life will be better. And that's almost that thing of, you know, whether you're doing it as a parent picking up a five-year-old that's fallen over in the playground or whether you are an adult teaching a slightly telling a slightly younger telling a slightly younger adult that it's all going to be okay that's what flashbang is so it's not that I, I think they like to I think the boys in the play would like to think that they were this kind of alpha male group of like boys but realistically speaking they've got flaws and and, and like just like everybody else and I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to, to play around with I think is there a big spoiler in the fact that there's five, you talk about five boys, but there's only four actors? Yes. Also, we won't go any further, but I think that one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's easy to work out just from the description, isn't well, it? Well, I don't know. I see. I don't know if it, I don't know if it is, right? I think, I mean, obviously, you know, it'll reward you for, for paying attention to this podcast more than anything else. But I think there's a very definite reason why we've done things. There's a very definite reason why the story is the way it is you and I always have a conversation in the bar afterwards about decisions that are made in the course of creating a show. So there is a conversation for you and I to have in the bar afterwards about what this is. The story pivots around a central event and the central event is very clearly established from the beginning. Because he did that with Lately, didn't he? You knew from the start how it was going to end. Is, it, is that sort of something here we go see as well? We, we know what the, the, the start tells us what the end is. So, so I think uh, Flashbang is is weirdly it has that sort of same sense of circularity to it, but the event is different. So lately, very very clearly put a decision by a character right at the beginning, um, which was the spoiler alert. It's a suicide of a of a character, and it's lately it's effectively a suicide note, told over the course of an hour and a love letter to a person that you, that's always been an important part of your life. Flashbang continues that idea of it being a love letter to somebody, 
but I think the circumstances by which it happens are very different. There's a there's a lack of choice in flashbang. And actually, I think that when we were creating the show, one of the things that was really, and again, spoilers all over the place, there's a book called One Day by David Nichols, which mm-hmm. has a very shocking event in it. I don't know if you know the shocking event. Which I, no, I know the book, never read it, never read it. Okay, so very similar to that, really. Like, things happen in your life that you can't control. And, and actually, there's an element of lack of control in, in Flashbang. And, and the title itself is, is, is kind of alludes to that. So flash, a Flashbang is a stun grenade. And, you know, it's one of these kind of computer games, stun grenades, you know, you get these soldiers that like chuck a stun grenade into a room and it goes off and you get ringing in your ears and stuff. Flashbang is effectively sort of translates that idea to what happens if a big stun grenade goes off in your life and how do you deal with it if you're not the person that's been hit by it? <laughs> and it doesn't, ki- it doesn't kill you outright, but it changes your life forever. It's a shock. <laughs> and, yeah, and so it's, it's that dealing with that shock factor. And I will go no further Brilliant. than that. <laughs> I look forward to finding out. You've got some of the cast in Flashbang are the same people you've worked with before. Is, is that risky to have the same cast come back? Do they fall into sort of a role of their previous characters with you or is it makes it easier to work with them? So, so for Flashbang, very, def- very definitely, Fred uh, Wardale is probably the only full-time cast member that's returning. Um, and he was obviously in, in Lately and, and we really love working with Fred. Um, we've got Emmanuel, Sam uh, and Henry, who was in, Henry was in 5A. Uh, but very briefly, as part of the the great five A twist that we're never allowed to talk about ever again. So actually, working with Henry full time, he's been on our radar for a while. is is a real joy. I'm really looking forward to that. And then obviously the new energy that Emmanuel and Sam bring to the cast is is going to be brilliant. I think working with the same actors kind of reinforces the idea of there's like a family that like we have a family feeling. And and actually, people kind of stay with us and then graduate and go off and do not graduate, so go off and do other things. So actually, Fred gives a really good continuity between our previous work it kind of helps ease new actors into the rehearsal process and for me it's it's about working with you know brilliant people that you love working with right and I think having those same actors around and they're, they're all in this like gestalt of actors right that we have that we know to call on when we need something is is really great can sort of means that you feel like you're supported by a community of people there were 700 applicants for flashbang uh, over two audition processes over two because obviously this was a 2020 pandemic throwback right um so actually 1400 actors and there are always actors that you keep an eye on and think well they're not right for this thing but i know i've got this other thing in my back pocket and that seems to be how we're how we're working so actually to give some of those opportunities out has been brilliant emmanuel auditioned for something for us in the past um and he's got a really good like i'd almost describe it as like a it feels like a classical ability right i'd love to see him do shakespeare or i'd love to see him do something that actually makes makes the most of his of his talents this role is very different to that but actually you know you you build up a kind of database in your head of okay that person can do this thing that person can do something else and so that continuity i think is really helpful but um there's a real energy to the to the four of them and i think having spent some time with them already they're going to personify each of those individual characters really well and i think having to work in that environment is going to be really great really looking forward to it that's and um when you're rehearsing it's completely sort of off the sort of left field question right. here for you <laughs> what, yeah when, when you sort of in rehearsals then yeah so for these sort of characters that might only be on for a couple of minutes do you literally just pull say i'll oh, just turn up on thursday night the rest of them come every night and they turn up thursday night to rehearse the one evening do, you, do they they don't come along for the whole show then to rehearse i suppose you just pull them in different times this is really difficult now because I have to like, again. It's a spoiler thing, right? So flashbang isn't that. So flashbang, the the, the four of them are on stage all Main, the time, yeah. and they play themselves. So they they play the, the character of Ryan 
and one of Ryan's friends. So there's a there's a dynamic between them and their mate, right? It's it's you'll have to see it. To, to they're telling one story, but it's a story seen through the eyes of four people. But they're all that that person and somebody else, which is hard to explain. But I think it really kind of gives the storytelling a bit of a bit of depth and a bit of nuance to it. We have had shows in the past, so I use Five A as an example, where there is you know people that appear very briefly. We've got a system for kind of handling that sort of person arriving. Um, the thing I love about so a lot of the work that we've created in the past. So Feel, which was a show that we did right at the beginning, which then gave birth to Feel More. There's an expanded universe, right? So the idea is, is that there can be different people living in the same world, and they're you know the person sitting on the bus stop or whatever. You can have other actors that can be part of that adventure, and you can kind of give more to a different group of, of humans. 5A was was very like that for me. So we were able to give first opportunities after the pandemic to a larger group of people. And one other question that made me feel what I've thought of, actually. I know with um, Volcano, you were really eager to have no props, no no actual proper set. You were just you know, in the black box with video screen. Yeah. What have you done for Flashbang? Are, are you bringing some props in for this, or we go? Uh, I don't. I, I just don't think I like loads of props. I know. Like, I don't know what to say. And I, 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 I tell you why. I think it's because so 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 there. Are, I I think there are there is a little bit of set because the set needs to be other things, right? So so the 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 language of Flashbang is very much like this thing becomes something else you know you need to sit people down at some point so there has to be a chair right so they, they can't sit in, in thin air so i think a bit more than volcano there's there's, there's a there's a bit more set um, i think one of the things that we did for volcano so that the video and the projection is kind of becoming a bit of my thing as a director that i like to play around with so i'm gonna there's gonna be a lot of that in flashbang probably not as much as there was in volcano because there's more humans right doing stuff might be a haze machine if i can turn the smoke alarms off <laughs> but i think there's that feeling of like we've got so for flashbang takes us from a nightclub to a bedroom to somewhere else entirely to the climactic point of the show to somewhere else and then to somewhere else and then you know like it goes on and then there's something else is all spoilers i think you need some things to be able to tell that story there's a visual language that you can use to tell that story but i still think i still maintain you can get away in a fringe environment with creating worlds that don't rely on set and a huge amount of props Every boy's got a mobile phone, so there's always a mobile phone. And actually, as a shorthand, it means that you can talk to other people. You can receive information via a mobile phone. There's a very important prop in Flashbang, which, again, is a massive spoiler, so I'm not going to tell you what that is. Um, but it's a very old-school prop, which has got a great degree of poignancy to it. And so, actually, it'll be interesting to see how that appears and in what context that appears when you see it at the climax of the, climax of the show. We're talking about fringe theatre. It means you've got to rely on the writing more, doesn't it? it? It means it's it's all about the story. It's all about the writing. You know, there's nothing, there's no flashy set. So you have, you live and die on your script. You live and die on your actors, don't you? Which is probably why Fringe is, is so, yeah, well, I'd, I'll come to Fringe any day over a West End show. So. But I think, I think, what, I think it's a different discipline, right? So I, I've said this to other people mm. before about the West End, you know, if you go and see a show in the West End, you're told what to think and you're told what to feel. And the audience are given actually as much as is humanly possible, the same version of events and the same set and the set, you know, it'll look this way and it will do this thing. I think with Fringe Theatre, 50%, 40%, maybe 70%, depending on the show, is in your head. And so you have to create stuff. So, so actually you have loads more freedom 
in some respects because the audience give you the forgiveness that there's not a, a mountain or a barricade in Les Mis or whatever it is that you have. You know, the set pieces aren't as flashy, but it means that what you can do that is is really clever and really smart. I saw a, a show last week, for example, um, that we had on at the Lion Unicorn, where they recreated, you know, like the teacups at a theme park. Yeah. With a, with a stool, like one stool held between three actors oh christ and you knew it and you knew exactly what it was in context it didn't need anything it was just a stool but it was done so beautifully that actually i think that's where you know we have unlimited capability to tell stories you don't need big big set pieces and actually you know i think there's a place for it but in certainly in the line of unicorn if you were to put a massive big set piece in there now i think it would spoil it i think it would i think it would throw you out of the illusion that you can create by having less and doing more yeah and you're right about the writing. The writing is the thing that carries it, but also the performances and the ability of the actors to be able to create a picture in people's imaginations is really important. So uh, I'm all for advocating minimal sets for things, mm-hmm. but it has to be done carefully. I, 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 I think, and the one thing I say a lot about a play, and it's, it's a line I've probably used way too often when I've written reviews myself, is that it, I like a play that, that you, you then end up talking about in the pub afterwards, trying to argue out what it meant which again is what I think what you're very good at making and what, yeah, what the best fringe theater to me is when, you know, you, you leave it and you want to talk about that play afterwards and discuss, you know, what it actually meant or you know, what it was trying to say to you. Yeah. And I, and I think actually to some extent, you know, if you talk about things like lighting, you have to, you can't just put stuff on a bare stage, right? There has to, there has to be a lighting choice. There has to be a reason, you know, we talk about projection and we talk about sound and we talk about all sorts of stuff. Those are all decisions. Mm. For those people that saw Volcano, there was a, a set of projections on the back wall that were a set of names. And I don't know if you remember that one of those one of those projections then gave away to a picture of a person. And it was a very clear attempt to be like, right, this is something different from something else. I think you've got to still put those decision making in, whether you have a piece of set to represent it or not. And I think it's not just what chairs are on the stage or whether there's a bed or what the bed looks like or whatever. It's does the light fire in a specific way? Does the sound cue happen? Does the sound cue not happen? Do you drop the volume of something out at a specific time? And that's the directing choice, I think. And so as a director, you always look for those opportunities to like, we don't work a lot with stage directions. So a lot of it is, is kind of built in the room. And a lot of a lighting cue firing or a lot of a screen projection or a lot of something is the director saying to the audience, I want you to look at this, or this is important. So, so for me, certainly, like I'll fire, I, uh, there's a, a running joke about the fact that there's a one spotlight in the line of unicorn, which is the middle spotlight, which is my absolute favorite. And it's like, if that spotlight goes on and somebody's standing under it, it's me going, this is important. Something, something here is demands your attention. Please look at this. And I think what's, what's probably really clever is that that's the sort of thing that I think as an, you know, a general audience member, we probably don't notice directly but it's what makes you know it, it we, we may not notice the actual you know what you're doing but we we notice the effect that and how it adds to the play so it's 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 say it's the little things that make it isn't it? it's the little things that all add up to make it that that amazing thing that we're watching yeah and so, and so for example like, this is a really geeky example because I, I kind of geek out on this stuff, <laughs> but like next time you go to the theater and there is a blackout the lights go out for a specific reason look at the decision behind those lights going out so for example a smash a smash blackout where something goes directly into a blackout i very rarely use now that's like 
oh shit, something's happened. <laughs> uh, think about that what you will. Uh, and you know, things like slow blackouts and stuff are actually you going, okay, we're leaving this one thing and we're moving to something else. I'm going to give you five seconds to think about it. So technically speaking, look at what those decisions are because those decisions are part of that storytelling process. And, that, and I, again, I think some people are not that bothered about it. But if you're looking at technical decisions and that sort of stuff that are made, I would yeah. always look at a, a, the length of blackouts and go, why are they telling us that information? Yeah, and I think it's that weird thing. We may not, you know, and I, I you know, I may not realise that's what you're doing, but it obviously has an effect on on how I feel about the play. And as you say, it gives me that. It's interesting that about that moment to think, isn't it? It is, you know, you, to digest that scene you've just seen. And I think, it, I, I mean, I'm probably as bad as many. I probably don't at times appreciate some of the stuff you put in there. Music, music plays a big part in everything you do, doesn't it? And um, yeah. you've created a playlist for. Um, flashbang which we will share on the website if people want to check out your playlist what's the relationship to you between the music and the plays then it's, it's, it's continuing that theme really you know music for me is a language it's a uh, it's memories it's environment it's how people talk to each other it's the songs that you sing in a pub or in a nightclub and you you know point at each other on a dance floor because you're drunk at midnight and the song that you sing together there's also a sense of community right so for flashbang in particular there's those songs that have a very definite i don't want to say boys night out energy but they've got a kind of energy that really speaks to the piece um, and they would be songs that they those boys would be listening to right you know there's a lot of the streets and you know we mentioned rizzo kicks earlier on rudimental that kind of stuff and so it's an, another addition to that language which kind of tells that story uh, i love a playlist as you know i've yet to find a playlist that defeats me for a show this one was it was fun uh, and there's some good there's some good songs in there that speak to, to my background and, and where I'm from and, and also kind of move us forward to the language from there, I think. Does the play dictate the musical choice or is it just an influence in the writing process? I think you, I think you have to, you have to, it gives you something when you don't have anything, right? So if you're writing something and you've got a blank sheet of paper, having a really good playlist means that you can actually create worlds with it. And, and actually, you know, we, we all remember where we were when songs were playing it means that it grounds it in a sense of, of space and time and dramatically i love the i love the fact that you can use music to underscore stuff that's happening and you know we all remember where we were in a car when a particular song was playing or we all remember where we were when we broke up with our girlfriend or whatever uh, and you can use music to comment on so in flashbang for example there's a couple of comments about musical choices one of the characters is, is a bit of a music snob and it's got a real thing about how he thinks the arctic monkeys are shy which is an opinion I don't hold. Uh, I have no opinion about the Arctic Monkeys any which way. But it is really interesting to kind of use that as reference points for people to talk about. Uh, there's actually a, a section in Flashbang which talks very specifically about a specific song, spoiler alert, from that character. And again, it just influences character choices and that kind of thing. So you'll have to wait and see what that is. But uh, it's, a, it's a, a late 90s song that you wouldn't expect him to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I'm no, I, I, you know, I'm passionate about my music. One of the songs, obviously, in your playlist is uh, by the Streets. I can remember where I brought the original, the first um, original part material by the Streets of their debut album. I can remember going to Romford at a little record shop in Romford, um, taking a day trip out there with a girl I was seeing at the time, or you know, from East London to Romford for a shopping trip and coming home with the Streets album. And it's amazing how you can place. As you say, albums place you in times and places, isn't it? Or music place you in times and places. And, and weirdly, it's a, like boys don't talk to each other, right? But uh, for example, "Dry Your Eyes" made by the streets is on that is on that playlist. It's a, mm. it's a very it's a very boy song about you know your life being over and stuff. And so actually, it, it nicely kind of 
it's a song they would have heard when they were younger and they would have carried with them as they grow into these these kind of grown-ups so it's been really interesting to see how that works and that's really where the music plays a real part in the creation of the show i think mm. and the, the play and the, i think you mentioned this a moment ago but the, the playlist the great thing about spotify playlist it tells you when the songs were added a lot of these songs ran in 2020 so this play was originally meant to be back in 2020 this one got hit by um sort of the pandemic lockdown everything then yeah so we created the show in super quick time um weirdly lately took such a long time uh, and was such an arduous process for something that became so joyful and so such a, a really nice experience this was like five days start to finish crack a play out we were almost that feeling of like back out in the world again so it was uh, it was written in july uh, so it's two years old now um, and it was originally supposed to be for September of 2020 because we were like the world is going to be reopened again and it's all going to be fine and then it wasn't and then we cancelled it maybe it's the next year and then it wasn't and now it's finally getting its life again so that playlist was created like right at the beginning as kind of you know we, the genesis of the show um, which was a, there was a real energy around creation of this particular piece and and, and all of our original R&D for it was all done under socially distanced conditions and now you know we can get these boys together and tell the story I think putting that show on ice for a bit so that we can now get everybody together and tell a story where they're, they're all holding on to each other and stuff, you know, being physically proximate to each other, it's going to make a real difference. So yeah, Flashbang originally started out as a monologue and the decisions that we made to put more humans in were as a direct result of the pandemic and, you know, kind of wanting to be around humans again. But I'm really glad that two years later, it's, it's, getting, its uh, getting its life again, the way it should have done. Your last play lately, you took on a short tour was it short tour a quick tour what you want to call it although it wasn't quick it lasted a few months in the end didn't it here and everywhere yeah and, and at this point right we were supposed to take lately on tour to lots more places and i think just by the challenge of omicron and the challenge of you know touring theater still not what it was um i think certainly i think lately we'll we'll return at some point in the future I, i'd love the same for flashbang touring is expensive and it's hard work we we took volcano to a couple of venues this year and um, I'd forgotten how bad it was to tour sometimes. Uh, and by bad, I mean just, you know, it's a lot of stuff. Yes, but yeah. And, and drumming up an audience, right, who are not ready to come back to theatre and fringe theatre when they could be down the road watching the musical at the local theatre is, <laughs> is tricky. So we're thinking about um, Flashbang. I think hopefully we'll see how it goes. Um, there's some ideas in the pipeline for it. And I, I, I can't remember if it was you I was talking to or someone else, but... There's a um, Folkestone obviously has has a, a arts quarter which I'm really sort of fascinated to find out more about. I must. So what I want to do, what I've suggested we do is that we try and get that as a venue on our on our circuit, and then we use my parents' house as a B and B for all the actors. <laughs> well, I'm I'm there for I'm there for whatever. So, the, well, um, the floor think... of the plan is I suggested that on air one night, and my dad messaged me and said, "Not a hope in hell." But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'll, I'll, I'm I'm hoping they might go on holiday. What I do is plan tours around their holidays. Yeah, I mean, I, brilliant. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm always up for I'm always up for touring. I think we we will be more careful about touring next time, and I think it's about just making sure that once the world is back to normal again, and I think you know it's getting there. I think it'll it'll be a healthier time to be touring. I think. As you say, it's getting an audience in. It's finding an audience who, let's say, maybe not had, you know, because you know, let's say you go out to these um, sort of cities and towns around the country they don't get a regular feed of this sort of theatre. So I suppose it's finding that audience isn't in the first place and and building it from there. But uh, and we've had this conversation, I've had this conversation with you, I've had this conversation with quite a few people. How do we promote it better? How do we build the audience? But we'll see. So Flashbang doesn't come till September. 
before that, we have the wonderful Camden Fringe. <laughs> don't pull faces about that. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can see Camden, that. Look well, Camden, it's not Camden wonderful Fringe, for so an AD. Well, Camden Fringe is an interesting one, right? In that, so so we're in Camden, right? So we do it every year, and you know, it's a it's a it's a brilliant source of great new work. Um, it's just a lot of work, um, and if you think about it, it's you know double for us this year. It's double the amount, quadruple the amount of work that we would have in any normal given month. Uh, and so obviously, you know, you have to make sure you're selecting the right work and you're choosing the right pieces and, and, that, and that kind of thing. I think Camden Fringe for me always feels a little bit like standing at the bottom of a very big mountain to climb. And it always happens that you're trying to close out the previous season. You've got Camden Fringe coming in and then you've got a brand new season immediately behind it. It, it just feels like a very big... Uh, hill to climb and and when you get up there it's brilliant and the view's lovely and, and it's and it's great but you stand at the bottom and you just think oh bloody hell i've got a month to do this from an audience point of view it is like the swan though because you may be going mad under that water but i've yeah i mean i remember last year coming over for a few shows and you don't see all the chaos that's clearly going on behind the scenes then because i come over and see two or three shows in an evening which you know all usually very good so you do it may be madness behind the scenes, but it, on the front, it looks good. <laughs> I think you've got to, so we, we choose our fringe depending on, so, so I think it's, there's an art form to doing Camden Fringe, right? And, and the art form for us, you know, there are some theatres, you know, I use it, et cetera, as an example, they've, they've mastered Camden Fringe in volume, right? Loads and loads and loads of shows, like I think 50 odd shows, or something, and, and I'm sure Emily will tell me if I've got that wrong. But we, for me, it's about kind of choosing, I'd rather choose 14, 15, 13, whatever it ends up being because we're on the go all the time, right? So it, it it means that actually this year we've run a slightly shorter Camden Fringe season because we're in year three of us doing it because we lost a year because of the pandemic. And now it's about, okay, right, if we've got a select more select season, what does that look like? Does it mean that life's a bit easier um, for us? And can we focus on the shows that we have in to really understand them rather? And we've done it a little bit differently just because I think we've learned some lessons over the last couple of years of, of what works and what doesn't for, for us not necessarily for other venues. It does. I mean, in this year, 250-odd shows this year, I think, isn't it? So it does feel like it's it's really found its its home now, isn't it? And even considering it's up against Edinburgh, it it feels like it's holding its own quite nicely now, The you know, what's going on behind the scenes. So Yeah, and, and I think actually, you know, to Camden Fringe's credit, Edinburgh is, I mean, we talked about this earlier on today, but like it's so extortionately expensive to take a show to Edinburgh. It's so expensive to go to Edinburgh. Mm. And obviously it's an experience of a lifetime, right? But it can't come at the, uh, the cost of your health or your, your, your wallet or, you know, whatever. Camden Fringe gives you a really good economic opportunity to see stuff. If you can't take a show to Edinburgh, there's a really good community built up around it. And actually, I think there's a real place for it. And people look forward to it, right? If, you, if you're part of it. Sorry, sorry sorry, Camden Fringe is for new young writers you know people testing out new shows and that so it's it is a different sort of style isn't it because it is about it's a testing ground isn't it it's a it's a, it's a chance to just give give you know a chance to put on something new something young although i mean i've, I've deliberately picked a couple of shows that aren't from young writers you know i've picked shows of people more my age so um but um, there's a breadth there's a breadth to camden fringe right so so i think there's a actually camden fringe gives you the opportunity as a, as a venue to program stuff you wouldn't normally program and take an ex- take a chance on experimenting with something so this year we've got a couple, we've got two musicals coming in which are, why i've chosen to do that is a, is a bit beyond me because it's bonkers in terms of its logistical stuff but it just means it's interesting new and exciting and 
it's like here today, gone tomorrow. And, and so actually, the, and a lot of the relationships that we've built, so if I take Chewboy Productions as an example, or Fantastic Garlands, who are now associate artists of ours, they brought work to us as part of Camden Fringe, and they've grown from there. Um, so actually, I think from that perspective, Camden Fringe is a really great opportunity to kind of see stuff and actually try before you buy, right, in a way that we never really had the chance to do with, with some of the other shows. Mm. We'll come see What's Wrong With Me, which is one of your musicals, isn't it? Yeah, uh, get it soon because it's selling out um, and it's done very, very well. Brilliant. Um, so what's wrong, what's wrong with me is a good musical that's coming in next week, I think. Um, yeah, we're coming on the 5th. We've got Lily, who's a musical fanatical. So she's she, she, she'd booked up two shows to come and see on that day. Uh, um, coming with the others are. And I saw this one pop up. We got an invite to uh, What's Wrong With Me. And I emailed it to her. I said, you can fit the third one in on that evening, can't you? It, you know, it falls in nicely after the other two. And she actually said yes. So she's coming along to that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think so it's going to be it's going to be really great. I think great to have them in. Looking forward to it. What else have you got that, I mean, I know it's awkward. It's like, say, picking your favourite child conversation. But um, other highlights you think we should be checking out of the Fringe? So I think certainly from from our perspective, I think what we what we've done is we've chosen like highlights wise. I would say stuff that actually you might want to think about companies on the up or companies that are doing something new and different. We have Dunfan Theatre coming back this year, um, who've got a kind of a satirical piece set in an office called Last Wednesday's Workshirt. Um, and Dunfan are great. They were in last year. They were throwing paint at each other last year uh, <laughs> with a show about an artist. So they promised me less paint this year, but a really good sort of satirical comedy show. Um, we have What's Wrong With Me, which we obviously discussed. We have um, All This Must Pass, which is a show from a really engaged and free school lunch theatre. We've just run an interview with them. I'm actually almost disappointed that someone else offered to review that because I was I saw Sisters of Charity by them last year and it was it was a beautiful piece of theatre. So I was really interested to see with this one. So with that, yeah, someone's seeing that. And, um, and and on the subject of musicals, we've got the Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society, whose um, acronym looks a bit rude, if you say yeah. it, um, or look at it from a distance. And they were the original home of Six the Musical, right? So they're coming to us with a brand new musical called The Man Who Wouldn't Be Murdered. And that's coming the last week of our run of Camden French. Uh, and who knows, we could have the next six on our hands. Uh, and I'm excited to see if that happens. And I think Six has give, encouraged people, hasn't it? Because... The, the story of six coming out, let's say, from the you know a university sort of project or not project, but you know the society. Um, I think that's maybe given people sort of the realization actually you know, you can build a show and you can build an audience. So right then, so let's start wrapping this up because we have really gone over time here. But give me a quick sixty second sales pitch on why we should come and see Flashbang at the Line of Unicorn between the sixth and seventeenth of September. You should come and see Flashbang, which is a story about five boys uh, who grow up into men and the event that changes all their lives forever, because I think it's what we do best. It's a story about real people um, in slightly strange circumstances. It's a story of brotherhood and family and community told in a way that's dynamic and interesting. I always say we're going to make you cry, um, so please bring your tissues, uh, but they will be dancing. Uh, and it's a real celebration of life, I think. It's a softer, but at the same time, more dynamic piece than we've done previously. Um, it's something a little bit new and a little bit interesting for us. And I think it's going to be, I'm hoping it's going to be a really good night of the theatre. I know it sounds weird, but it's actually, we're going to give you a bit of a roller coaster. And I want people to come after us to the end and think, okay, I'm really glad I went to see that. And I really care about these people and the story that they made. So please buy a ticket. Tickets are on sale now. Have a I, 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 and actually that warning about bring tissues, my, I, 
so I'm actually bringing a plus one for a change. I'm usually come solo today, don't I? But I'm bringing a plus one, and uh, I better I better warn her to bring her tissues because she's uh, liable to, yeah, she'll sob her eyes out, no doubt. Um, yeah, and and, and I, when I say bring tissues, like I think it's a it's a bit of a, a statement of intent now. So it's very clearly at the beginning. I'm 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 very clear about the fact that you might need them this time around. So. Yeah, if there's anything, yeah, I, I, and I've had this conversation before about say lately broke me, but like when I saw at the end or at the beginning of lately broke me when you knew where it was going. But there is there is an art in in the writing um, of the shows you put on that um, you you do somehow tap into that that feel very well. So I would say, and I you know I love Lion Unicorn, you know I love your work, what you, you know you and James put together. Um, so I will highly recommend this and we will make sure we, we will be plugging this like hell for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, and again, thanks for all the support. And actually, I mentioned this before, but Flashbang, pandemic afflicted Flashbang, right? Um, mm. It's felt like it's been in the cupboard for a long time. So um, I've said this before on previous podcasts, but you know, thank you to you and thank you to everybody that supported the theatre through tough times. I think it feels a little bit like the sun shining on us a little bit again at the minute. So um, I want us to have a bit of a nice time in the summer while we can. But thank you again for all the support. It's very much appreciated. You're welcome, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your extended time today. <laughs> um, I could say I will catch up with you during Camden Fringe, no doubt. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening please check out our website at everything-theatre.co.uk where you can find reviews and past interviews that we've done. And please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes where we'll be talking to more of the amazing people who make theatre the wonderful place it is. This has been Everything Theatre. We hope you enjoyed. <laughs>